Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. I'm all jacked up for this NWO reunion. Big Kev, Scottaholic, and the leader Hollywood himself. What you know, I know you guys want pictures, autographs. I've heard the request. Get a ticket with the boys in the band. And guess what? It's for the Q&A. The first time the NWO has sat down together in 22 years and hashed it out. October 27th. We're going to be running wild Orlando. Oh, I hate that word, running wild. HulkHogan.com Because this is for Life Jack, and it's not a stinking tagline. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle With. Bruce Pritchard and Bruce, you're in a good mood today, buddy. How's it going? Well, hey, hey, Conrad Thompson. It's BB Bruce Pritchard. Uh, I got a new bicycle, man. I'm happy. And this is the first time we've done a show since I was a married man. Is it going to feel differently? Do you think? Hang on. Let me feel you. No, you feel the same, man. Yep. There you go. How, how is married life so far? I mean, wait, the wedding, absolutely beautiful. And yeah, well, last week I already congratulated you and did all that good stuff, but you, you feel it a little different. I'm just tired. You know, we got all this travel going, uh, as we're talking right now, I'm in, uh, I'm in Mexico and I've got a race home and, uh, this didn't go over that awesome because I'm going to Kowloon this weekend, man. And you got to join us. What are you waiting for? It's the world famous Kowloon tickets are still on. So there's only a handful left. Snatch them up right now. BrucePritchard.com, and they kick it old school at Kowloon. You just call and order them over the phone, but you don't want to miss it. It's this Sunday. I'm looking forward to it, Bruce. Well, this is what's great. Our last live show that we did in Nashville, which was sold out in Kowloon, only has a few tickets left. So, by God, get on over there and get them. But you came from your bachelor party last time. Yes, and now I'm coming and I, from my honeymoon. It's just and now you're coming from your honeymoon. Yeah, it's uh, th- this this podcast stuff has taken over my life. I don't know how to well, say that. Yeah, but it, but I'm just saying that your your new wife, then it was your wife to be, has got to be just like. What the hell? You're leaving. You're leaving this to go to that to get to this to go to there, and then you're here. Yep, and we're excited to be here because today we're covering Judgment Day 1998. But before we do, what was your feedback last week on the Rikishi episode? Junebug, man, the royalty of the Samoan family, and you know we, we got to talk a lot about the Samoans and what they truly mean to the wrestling industry and a lot of people i i think they didn't realize just how intricate and how far back that that samoan lineage goes and everybody related to everybody and along the way and kind of off of sika sitting up uh atop of that dynasty if you will well we learned way back then with the whole hitting a motherfucker with a car uh why did we do the show last week we did it for who jumbo no. Wait, who? What? Oh shit! What am I? What am I missing here? I did it for the rock. For the rock, brother. 
Oh, the rock brother. These are layups. This is going to be a long day I, for not getting it, 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 it is because like I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy, Bruce, today. It's so that's like, good. It's like you don't even remember last week. Let's talk about it. Judgment Day, Almost. 1998. But before we do, let me tell you, Bruce. Maybe you'd feel even a little better today if you could boost your total testosterone with Ageless Male Max. I'm telling you, you're going to get a greater increase in both muscle size and twice the reduction in body fat percentage and just exercise alone and an amazing 64% increase in your nitric oxide, which is handy in the gym and in the bedroom. Take your manhood to the max and try your first 30 day bottle free. Just pay shipping and handling. Now you're not getting 10 days. You're not getting 15 days. You get a full 30 day supply for free. All you've got to do is text the word slam. That's S L A M. To 797979. That's slam S L A M to 797979 right now. Of course, message and data rates may apply. October 18th, Rosemont Horizon, Chicago, Illinois. It did a 0.89 buy rate back in 1998 for an estimated 4 million bucks for a company gross. Lots of the guys really like the Rosemont Horizon. Uh, I had the uh, great pleasure of seeing a pay-per-view there myself. And the first thing I noticed is something that I've heard Stone Cold Steve Austin talk about a lot, the wooden ceiling and how that really affects the acoustics. Why do so many of the guys really like the Rosemont? Is it just the, the sound from the crowd? Well, it's plus just the enthusiasm of the crowd and the way that the building is built. It feels like the audience is right on top of you. So when you're in the ring and you're in the middle of the horizon, man, it's, it's, well, now it's, what is it? All state arena now, but you feel like everybody, there's not a bad seat in the house. Everybody's in the ring with you. And that's how you feel when you're there. So it's an energy and it's a, it's just a feeling, man. And the audience is one of the best anywhere in the country, man. You got your New York, your Philly and your Texas audiences, but man, Chicago is second to none. Well, no doubt about it. We had a lot of fun there for Starcast, and they had a ton of fun at Judgment Day. And this was the very first time Judgment Day was used as the name of a pay per view. Who was picking names for pay per view shows back then? You know, it was a lot of it was coming from creative services, and they would send out kind of like questionnaires to certain people in the audience, uh, in the audience, in the office whether it be Howard Finkel, people in talent relations, but a lot of people in creative and over at TV saying, send us in names for pay-per-view themes and, and names. So a lot of names would come in and different themes would come in. Vince would kind of go through them. And ultimately it was Vince McMahon that would choose what the theme of that pay-per-view was going to be and what the name was going to be. And hence we got our first judgment day because he felt it was kind of with where they were going with Austin and the championship and Mr. McMahon that it fit the, the, the name fit and it made a theme. Here's a little piece of trivia for you. As we come into this pay-per-view, it's the first time that the WWF has had a pay-per-view without the world champion on it in 10 years. As a reminder, we just covered that breakdown pay-per-view, which is available now in the archives. And at the end of the show, there's some confusion about who the champion is when both undertaker and Kane pin the then champion, Steve Austin at the exact same time. So the belt is vacant and we're going to have a tournament for this thing at the next pay-per-view, which will be survivor series. But of course we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Business is still a booming. We do this all the time, but 
year over year, month over month, we're still climbing. Uh, average attendance is up 81% from 6,000 fans up to 11,000 fans. Gates are 121% higher going from 99,000 back in October of 97 to 219,000 here. That's 121%. I think you just said 21%. Well, it is a massive increase. You go from 99 grand up to 219 grand shows are selling out left and right. Even ratings are higher. Your average cable rating back in the day in October of 97 was a 2.0. We're up 45% here. One of the things I wanted to mention though, and we've talked a lot about this in our Vader episode is that Vader's having some real issues with the company at this point. He's trying to finish up at the end of the month and he's ready to go somewhere else, but you guys won't let him go to WCW. This is probably a mutual parting of the ways because we've examined in long form in our archives that this was just a miss. It felt like we never got out of neutral and into drive with Vader. There were weight issues. There were injury issues. There were attitude issues, whatever it was, it just didn't work out. Do you remember there being a condition that, Hey, yeah, we'll let you go. You just can't go to WCW. Sure. I mean, we were in competition with WCW. They were our immediate competitors where we did most of our business in the United States. So Vince didn't want him going there regardless. I don't think that WCW was interested in him at that time, but at the same time, we didn't want to leave that option open to them and or to Vader. And you also have to be careful a lot of times exactly what you wish for, what you say when you, you say, Hey, you know, Vince, I really want my release. I want to do this. I want to do that. I don't want to go to WCW. I just want to go back to Japan and, and have that. Okay. Then we'll give you a release based on the condition that you just said, and we'll make it to where you can go to Japan if you want to go to Japan, but we will make it a provision. You can't go to WCW. I think that's kind of how it happened. His last match for you guys wound up being an MSG on October 25th and a three-way with mankind and Ken Shamrock. Of course, Vader taps out to Ken Shamrock's ankle lock there. And he bounces around a little bit between all Japan pro wrestling and pro wrestling. Noah from 98 to 02 has a couple of brief appearances for TNA and then made sporadic appearances in 05 and 12. And then even again in 16 for the WWE. We've covered Vader as one of our, and it probably is our first, when you look back at our the history of our show, that Vader episode, and maybe that Pillman episode, those were really the first two where we just went crazy details, right? Yeah, we did. And we talked about coffee in his good eye and a coconut on top of his ear or something like that. So yeah, that was one of our very first deep dives that we went in. Uh, if you haven't already check that episode out in the archives, but it is sort of a weird ending to Vader in America because he was such a top guy just a handful of years prior to this for WCW, the WWF run doesn't go as planned. And then he's just sort of off the scene. It's uh, a little sad. I don't know, but it is sort of interesting because Meltzer would freestyle that maybe new Japan is going to be where he winds up, but new Japan has a working relationship with Bischoff and WCW. Of course that didn't happen. Wound up doing something with all Japan and Noah. Was there ever any consideration or conversation once Vader left of, Hey, why don't we bring Vader back? Did anybody want to try it again? 
Not at that time, no. I think that it was a time that there was a lot of younger talent on the horizon and just new faces. The Vader experiment just didn't work. So there wasn't a whole lot of people saying, no, bring Leon back at that time. It was, let's go with new, let's go with some of this different talent that hasn't had the exposure yet. Well, he's out and another big man is in. Melson would report that Ray Trailer had signed and was going to debut as the big boss man once again, probably as a heel enforcer for Vince McMahon. He's coming back here just 36 years old and is said to be down to just 290 pounds. I say just because when he was here before, he was wrestling between 340 and 390. Uh, how excited were you guys to have Ray Trailer back? Well, I, just because I'm a big fan of his, I liked him personally. I was happy as shit to have Boss Man back. Plus, with the idea of updating the gimmick and doing a just a 1990s version of the big boss man gimmick and putting him in the riot gear and giving him a little bit of a different look and a little bit different edge, I was excited about it. I've always been a big fan of his, and I was happy to have him back because he could work. He was a working big man, and everybody liked Ray. As luck would have it, we've got a full episode on Ray Trailer, the big boss man in the archives as well. So check that out. I want to mention here that Jim Cornette had become the host of Sunday Night Heat with Shane McMahon around this time. What led to that pairing? It is sort of timely that we're talking about this too, because this weekend, Cornette is going to be back on commentary, this time with Tony Schiavone for the NWA 70th reunion. Well, you know, um, I would say that that uh, pairing of the NWA and Corny is, is just about right, and, and we'll leave it at that. But Vince well, wait, was looking wait, for something what different. Is that, what does that mean? I think that they're they're right for each other. I think that Corny loves that that style of wrestling, loves the NWA, and I think that Corny probably would like to have the NWA back in a prominent way. I think that pairing's great. You know, we don't ever God makes them and he pairs them. We don't ever talk about current wrestling here on the show, but Cody Rhodes as the NWA world champion, you for it or against it? I think he's the best NWA champion that they have probably had since the NWA was the NWA. Well, that's a lot to process, but I think I get what you mean. Uh, you, you would prefer him over, a a Tim storm or a Steve Carino or a Dan Severin or a Chris Candido or any of those champions since it sort of, I don't know. Yes, I would. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would. All right. Uh, I, I would, you know what? I mean, if I had a company right now, I'd make Cody the champion of my company. Seriously, I, I'm a big gonna... fan of Cody, of Cody Rhodes too. So I, I look at him and I look at the, and what I see in Cody Rhodes is not just now, but the future. So we're talking about now we're talking about the future. I, I think that he's a hell of a talent and will do great for whoever the hell he's working for. Did you see his promo after the new Japan show in California a few weeks ago, where he talked about Dusty's kids and everybody calling themselves Dusty's kids? Uh, no, I did not. I'll send you a link. You'll like it. So chat me up here, Jim Cornette. Why is he the co-host here on heat with Shane McMahon? Why did it make sense? And why was Vince in favor of this? I don't know that it really made sense. It was an attempt to utilize Jimmy and be able to uh, put Jim in a position to do color commentary and do what Jim does best. And that's kind of call wrestling and tell stories. The idea of putting Shane in there was youth. Vince wanted, you know, a younger demographic. He wanted a younger, uh, person in that spot. 
and wanted to give Shane a try and, and was a way to get Shane on camera, get him out in front of the people, kind of let everybody know, hey, there's another McMahon. Because other than refereeing, Shane really hadn't done anything, and I don't think we ever called attention that that was Shane McMahon when he was a referee. So it was just a way to get, get him out there and get him in the mix. I want to sort of get off the beaten path here for a minute because I, in my research, I saw in mid October that you guys managed to sell out, uh, in one particular week in the middle of October, 1998, you ran five house shows, four of those five in that particular week were 100% sold out total utilization of the building. House show business is on fire. That is not the case now in 2018 with house show business. Now, of course, the WWE stock has never been higher. I know there's lots of people online who point to declining ratings and say, oh, it's a dying product, but the the (laughs) stock is at an all time high. That's silliness. But I do want to mention that this is still a key line item for you guys in 1998, the house show business, the live event revenue was still a big, big part of the business. What is the key? What was the secret to booking a strong house show card to getting the local promotion out there? How are you guys so successful in selling house shows out then? And are there any lessons that were learned there that could be applied today? Or is it just a totally different business now? Well, first of all, it is a totally different business. However, what was key at that time was promoting the same issues and angles that were taking place on television and updating it as we went along. If things changed in the TV storyline, things changed in the house show storyline. And we made adaptations and we changed from week to week the local cards. So you were all you were watching television shit to get updated on what was going to take place in your local event. And you felt that what happened in your local event was key to what was going to happen next week on TV, if you will. Plus, again, man, it, it takes time and it's reputation. All of, I, all of our guys were showing up to work, which in comparison, our competitor WCW for house shows, you didn't get the big stars. Right. You didn't get Hulk Hogan and Kevin Nash and Scott Hall and all those guys in the house shows. And even if they were advertised, chances of them showing up sometimes were slim to none. With ours, guys showed up. We had our top guys advertised. Our top guys showed up and they delivered in the ring. So when you would come back in, in three and six month intervals, people knew they were going to get what was advertised. Did Do you remember having any of your talent with the WWF sort of reference the fact that the WCW guys could lay out a house shows and try to use that as, well, Hey, they don't have to do it over there. What's the big deal if I miss this one week, or was it just a totally different mentality? And if so, how did you instill that mentality in the guys? Paid them. Uh, it was that simple. If you miss a show, you didn't get paid. And if you didn't come to a show, we didn't have no shows. We didn't have guys for no reason not show up just because they didn't want to. Guys made the shows, and they performed when they were there. Now, the the difference is they can say, okay, well, so-and-so's at WCW. They don't have to go to house shows, and they're making X. When you compare what they were making uh, to what our guys are making at this time in the game, when business was up, our guys wanted to work because they were making more money. So they wanted to be on the house shows. They wanted to be booked. They wanted to be out there and grab every opportunity that there was to earn more money. Did you guys have some sort of bonus for the top guys? If there was a sellout, 
they got paid on the houses. So, I mean, the more people, the more money that, that was their bonus. It was, if there was more money to go around and you're on top, you're going to make more money. Listen up wrestling fan. You like comics? Well, go support the new rowdy Roddy Piper kill the Avenger on Indiegogo. It's a new comic book drawn by our man, Eric Hodson, and it's written by Dominic Reggio of mess bucket comics officially licensed and will be distributed by pro wrestling tees. Now the story is going to center around Roddy. He's a talk show host by day and a superhero by night. His wife, Kitty is involved. So there's going to be some guest appearances and Easter eggs. And this book is by Piper fans for Piper fans. So go to kiltedavenger.com. That's kiltedavenger.com or look up Roddy's name on Indiegogo. Heck, you can even be drawn in the book yourself if you act fast. So go ahead, pull up indiegogo.com right now and look up Roddy Piper or check out kiltedavenger.com to help make this book become a reality. If you love the hot rod, you're going to love this book. Check it out right now. Support our friend Eric and check out kiltedavenger.com. What's the old school or at the time, the 1998 methodology for figuring house show payments? Wow. At that time, I want to say you're probably doing 33%. Run everybody through that. And, bef- and before you sort of set it up, I want to explain that for a long time in wrestling, you would hear stories about guys who would take a peek through the curtain and just sort of get a, an idea for how many people were there. And then there was lots of speculation with old timers. Cause they would say, oh, tonight's payoff should be this because it's a full house. And there's this many people there and guys really took pride in being able to eyeball the crowd and guess how many people were there, what the gate was going to be, and then sort of guess how the promoter was going to screw them around. Tell us the 33% methodology. Well, what you do is you take your, your gross house, you subtract your taxes from that, that gives you your net and from that net, you take 33% of the net and that is then distributed to the talent. And usually the top guys make more those, uh, Vince would feel contributed more to selling those tickets who he felt, you know, people were paying to see, um, and then it would be trickled down to everyone else. So it was, for example, if you had a, uh, I'll just use a hundred thousand dollar house, but our houses at this time were more obviously a lot more than that. Yeah. But for a hundred thousand, you've got 33,000 to pay your talent with. I got you. So chat me up. You said, you know, (coughs) if Vince thought blah, 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 but Vince isn't doing the payoffs here. Who would have been do, who would have been calculating house show payoffs here in 98? Would that have been JR? Well, JR would have first pass at it, but no, Vince approved all the payoffs. Okay. So every single, every house show, every pay-per-view, everything that he did, Vince finalized and would make changes. And I think Vince made changes just to let JR know he can make changes. (laughs) You know what I mean? So give me an example. You don't have to name guys, but let's say JR had a guy down for $2,000. If I mean, how would that process look? He submits a report by email or maybe even back then by regular memo inside the office and say, Hey boss, here's our uh, house show reports from the weekend. And here's the payoffs we're going to do. And then he just goes through and then like in the margin somewhere writes, you know, scratches a line through a number and writes another number and hands it back to Jr. for payroll. First of all, back in 1998, I think we were still doing it with payoff sheets, which just had a, had the card, had everybody's name on it. And then 
you had a spot for their pay. You had the you had the gross, you had the net, and then you had the percentage, the talent percentage. Um, then Jr. would go through and write down what he thought they should make next to their name. Vince would go through and mark mark through it and write down another amount. If he thought someone made too much, he would X through that, write down what he thought. Vince's amount is then what would be entered into the computer, and uh, probably Jr.'s assistant, I think, is the one that would enter all that into the accounting system and. Bada bing, bada boom. And the first notice that the guys would get of how much money they made is when it just showed up in their mailbox, right? There's no sort of heads up other than that. It just fucking no. the there's a check and go cash the some bitch. Exactly. So that's when you figured out how much you made for that night. A couple weeks later. What how often would you say guys would complain, not just to the other boys, but to the office about a payoff? Ah, you know, business was good at this time. So there wasn't a whole lot of complaining. Um, but most times if you, when checks would go out, if somebody got it, they would usually call Jr. or whoever and voice their displeasure. Uh, you know, rarely did you ever get somebody that would call you and say, God damn, thank you for the great payoffs the other day. Right. Never got that. But if, you know, they thought they should have got a hundred dollars more. For one night, by God, you're going to get that phone call. Well, we've also heard that there would be guys who would be particularly vocal about creative. Was there anybody who was just, who maybe earned a reputation as being a complainer? They were always boo-boo faced about their payoffs. Nothing was ever to their satisfaction. Shoo boy. Um, I think if you go back and in history, you know, Roddy could get upset, Roddy, around pay-per-view payoff times. You, you had your Roddies and your Hulks that always felt that they deserved more. Right. Um, those were notorious. Um, Randy Savage used to joke, you know, you can add a few more zeros and nobody's going to be pissed off there. Uh-uh. And, but as far as anybody else, you know, Kevin Nash, but you know, during the time that Kevin was on top, business was horrible. So, and I'm not pointing fingers at Kevin. I'm just right. saying that was a, a happenstance that he, that he was unhappy with his pay because it wasn't good because business wasn't good. So, uh, he would grumble and grump, but again, people during this time, man, business was good. Everybody pretty much were happy and it came from a time where a lot of the guys on the roster had been there when business was bad. Right. So they're just, they're happy that the checks are so much better now. Yeah. It's like, God damn, man, I'm, I'm able to buy a house now. So let's keep doing what we're doing and I'm not going to rock the boat. So in your opinion, you know, we don't talk about the current product much. If you had to sort of try something different to boost house show business now in 2018, got any ideas? Make everything more unpredictable. I think that some of the programming right now. And I also understand it because of what they're doing with sponsors and their long-term, you know, their long-term overall, the big arc, the big story to get to WrestleMania, to get to all of these international specials that they have committed to is you've got to keep it fairly general and you're, you're booking your big shows. There's not nearly as much, character development today, in my opinion, as there was in the past. 
there's not nearly the attention to story as there had been in the past. Um, there's a lot of, I want to win this match. I want to win this title, which is a lot of old school booking, which frankly, uh, I subscribe to for a long time, but I do think it's just better. I think it's more enjoyable for the viewer when you can't predict what the hell is going to happen and you, you keep your audience guessing. So they have to tune in and they have to see what's going on. And if I go to my show locally, then by God, I'm going to get something special. I don't know that there's that, that promise anymore. Now it's ice capades. Right. And Disney on ice that I want to go, I want to go see the WWE superstars, which is a great place to be too. I'm not, you know, I don't think anybody's complaining about that because they don't just have to rely on the house show money anymore. Let's They've talk, got revenue everywhere. Let's talk a little bit about Steve Austin and his merch here in 1998 Meltzer would report. It's been said that Austin sells more t-shirts than any entertainer or sports figure in the world. And he shares a story that he went to a local amusement park and all the teenage boys were wearing Austin shirts followed by Jordan jerseys, Steve young jerseys, Jerry rice jerseys, or local martial arts star Kung Lee shirts. So this is a movement where all of a sudden Steve Austin and WWF shirts are cooler to wear than some of the more standard and typical sports jerseys amongst that age group, teenagers and whatnot. If you had to ballpark it, how much money do you think Steve Austin made just on t-shirts alone in 1998? A lot. <laughs> more, more than 10 million? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody I've talked to sort of agrees that that was really the first year where it got nuts just on t-shirts alone. It it was crazy. And not just t-shirts, but anything that you could slap an Austin 316 on. Right. It was cool to have. So the, that whole revolution, the whole Austin movement was Printing money. JR's like, yeah, we're printing money. Don't kill the goose. So it was a good time. Wade Keller thought that this may have been a concern a bit for Vince McMahon. He writes, there's some conjecture in the industry that Vince McMahon is going to have to spread the WWF title around to several different wrestlers to prevent Steve Austin from becoming as powerful as Hulk Hogan was during the late eighties. And I know you're going to laugh that off, but before you do, I do think the WWE has been very careful to market themselves and their shows as WWE. So it's less about the particular talent and you know, like you don't know what the main event of WrestleMania is. You just know it's WrestleMania and people are going to see WrestleMania. It's not necessarily we're going to see stone cold at WrestleMania anymore. Now it's just WrestleMania. Is that fair to say? I would say that that's always been fair to say. And I think that if Vince had his way and Vince is from 1983 till now, Vince has always been about marketing the WWF name, the WWE name, where it's not wrestling. It's the world wrestling federation or it's world wrestling entertainment. It's WWE. And for that to be the brand now to say all of that, 
Stone Cold Steve Austin, when he's hot, man, you're going to push everything that you possibly can around him, with him. Uh, use that as much as you can to build that WWE brand. I don't think that Vince was was looking at, well, I'm not going to let him get too big. Bullshit. Vince wants him as big as he possibly can be, and then he's going to make him even bigger than that. So, yeah, Vince is not... Uh, that's that's just stupid business to think that. If you've got someone that's hot, I don't want him to get too hot because I don't want him to get too big for his britches. That's just not good business. Eh, we'll that's not. On. I mean, you want you want to make them big. You want to make you want to make them as big as you can to then make your brand even bigger. But you don't want to be held hostage. You don't. However, you want to use their celebrity and star power to get as far as you possibly can. He's not going to be held hostage by anybody. He, he, when Steve took his ball and went home, uh, he's like, okay, bye, go on, we'll see you. Uh, it hurt. Didn't like it. But at the same time, he looked at it, the, the brand will always be bigger than the talent. But at the same time, you got a hot talent, push him to the moon. Well, speaking of moons, Man on the Moon was a hot movie at the time, and everybody was concerned uh, about what opportunities there may be for Jim Carrey to participate in WWF television. I think a lot of people assumed, Hey, given, you know, that he is doing this, uh, full shtick where he is becoming Andy Kaufman and not breaking character. Will he pop up on WWF TV? And Meltzer says virtually no chance of that. Did you guys ever discuss it? We discussed it originally. And as far as having any involvement in the movie, and once it wasn't really reciprocal, I'm like, okay, you know, go do your, your movie thing. We'll do this. We talked about it, but, uh, the, the movie folks weren't interested in having anything to do with us. And Jim Carrey wasn't interested in it. So that that's probably the main reason that there, if you notice, there didn't get a whole lot of play for the movie on the WWF network. Yeah. That was sort of interesting to me in my research. I learned that Jim Carrey. Uh, was not a wrestling fan, according to Jerry Lawler. And Lawler says that both Kevin Dunn and Vince McMahon wanted him to address the Jim Carrey situation on Raw because it had made such big news. But the producers of the movies didn't even want him to talk about it. So it was a, an interesting, well, fuck you then. Or at least that's the way it reads to me. Well, yeah, it was a fuck you then because I believe that the movie would have done a lot better if we could have had some storyline and they had done work with us uh, to promote the movie. It was a natural here. You got your color commentary duo uh, or your commentary duo, Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler, who are in the movie in a vital role in the movie, but yet you don't want to take them in their real life role. Now where millions of people watch them every week and promote your movie. Okay, fine. Fuck you next. Something else I saw in my research here that I found was sort of fun. Uh, I'm just flipping through old, you know, raw results here. And by the way, uh, they're drawing huge money. Like East Lansing, Michigan draws 9,800 fans for a near $200,000 gate. But there's a show here where the headbangers challenge the insane clown posse and they just destroy them. And I bring this up because I don't even know that you saw this. Did you see where Shaggy Two Dope 
of the insane clown posse tried to give Fred Durst, the lead singer from Limp Biscuit, a drop kick on stage and missed. <laughs> you know what? Uh, well, I missed that. It was a couple of Is weeks this ago. Recent? Yeah. A couple of weeks ago. I'm going to say it happened like the weekend of October 6th. Um, I guess there was a concert and shaggy two dope does a run in and is going to drop kick Fred Durst from behind where he doesn't see it coming, but he falls short, totally misses security carts him off. And then they, they sang the na 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 song as the security escorted him off. And I was like, this is fucking wrestling right here. Everything about this because Limp Biscuit had done some stuff with you guys Insane clown posse, of course, actually had matches with you guys. And then they did the goddamn non and ah song. I'm like, where is Vince McMahon when you need him? Well, everything. Yeah. And a couple weeks ago, UFC, we talked about that last week, everything it, it's, it's pro wrestling It's WWE. Everybody wants to be in on the act. Uh, we should also mention that, um, this is the October 5th edition of raw where McMahon is in the hospital and he starts to freak out when the nurse says he has a big visitor and he's freaking because he thinks it's Austin, but it's actually mankind. And this is where he has a woman, uh, dressed as a clown, make a dog out of a balloon. It's where we first, I'd meet. like to, I'd like to correct you there, Conrad. Okay. That, that was just, that was Urkel the clown. She was not a woman. Okay. Sorry. She, she, she actually corrected us on this, man. She's Urkel. And she wanted to be addressed as Urkel. She was a clown. So don't be calling her a woman. Don't be calling her anything else by some some name that two people that created her might have given her at birth. She was Urkel the clown. All right, Dan. Okay. Uh, this is also where Steve Regal drank orange juice as a segment on the show. He squeezed it himself. You know why? Because, because he's a man. He's a man's man. Men squeeze their own juice. Well, you know, this, I really wish Blue Chew was a sponsor because I've got a fucking awesome transition right now that I just have to tuck this week. Hopefully, squeeze they'll be back. Squeeze my lemon till the juice runs down my lip. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Uh, this is also the episode where Austin dressed up as a doctor beats up Vince in the hospital room. Maybe the most famous skit of the year to me is when he hits him in the head with a fucking bedpan, a shoot bedpan. Tell me about this bedpan shot. How great is this? It was wonderful. And it, uh, raised this huge knot on Vince's head, which was probably the funniest part of it. But, uh, yeah, that was a Vince McMahon, Vince Russo creation that they went out and did. But so much of that was, Mick Foley in his improv and in the whole Mr. Sacco, uh, that he and Al Snow came up with. It's just a goof that they did, did it on camera. And I love it. And you know, now Mick can't go anywhere without fucking socks. So that's some, some good shit. Urkel the clown and the balloon animals. But when Steve grabbed the bedpan, Steve just grabbed shit that was near him and hit, hit Vince with the bedpan and, uh, about killed him. How amazing is that? By the way, that it's just all a fucking happy accident, man. No one in a million years would have thought. And frankly, if we had been told, I probably to the man would have shit all over it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He, he's going to put a sock 
and he's going to call Mr. Socko. You know, I, I, I would have shit on it. I would have thought this is the stupidest shit I've ever seen in my life. And it was in great all at the same time. The next week on raw, we get, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this sometime. It opens with the outlaws defending the tag titles and going to a no contest with LOD 2000 and draws is out in the full LOD outfit with animal Hawk's going to come out and sit at ringside and he's going to say he's having problems with painkillers and he's just trying to get back in shape. And at this point, he's an alternate on the team. Was Hawk cool with all this? He was cool with all this. And you know what the, the crazy thing about during this time was, is that Draws, to me, was the only one that looked like a road warrior. He at least had the haircut and the weird shit. Both uh, Animal and Hawk had grown their hair out, and uh, neither one of them had the Mohawks anymore. Um, but yeah, yeah, uh, Hawk was fine with it. You guys ran a promo on this episode too, where you show videos of Goldust beating up both Razor Ramon and Roddy Piper. Why were those the perfect guys to show Goldust beating up? Cause they were two big names that he just whipped the shit out of so much so that they had to go down South to another promotion. How great is they that? couldn't take it anymore in the WWE because Goldust was there and he'd whip their ass. Uh, this is also the episode where Mr. Sacco was used with the claw on for the very first time in a match when he beats Mark Henry. And then we see Austin show up driving a cement truck into the building. We know what's going to happen here. And I was really amazed when you and I visited the WWE warehouse earlier this year, that the Corvette that Mr. McMahon owned here on this October 12th episode where they poured cement until the windows exploded. They still have the fucking car. Yeah. For the longest time, it sat out in the parking lot at the television studio, just, just out in the open and, uh, with all the cement and shit in it. And now they have it in the. In the studio. I remember when we did that, we shot it. I want to say we shot it in Long Island, New York. But I remember looking at it, and they brought the cement truck in to, to fill up the deal and all this shit. And I'm thinking, well, the visual is you want all of that shit to kind of fill up and, and explode. But we couldn't put the top down on the... Corvette, because then how do you get the cement in? So you got to leave it open and we're watching it. And I said, why don't we just roll the windows up? Why would you have windows rolled up in a convertible to keep the cement in <laughs> until the windows pop? But I really didn't, I didn't know what I was saying, frankly, at the time. And I thought when I got hit with that question, I thought, you know, you're right. I mean, that's kind of stupid. But it made sense. I forget who the uh, who actually did that stunt, but they said, "Yeah, if you roll the windows up, it'll it'll create that explosion that you want." And so then I was vindicated when it actually worked perfectly on TV. But that was some good shit. It is good, and I guess what I wanted to point out here is these are back to back shows. So like the week prior, Mister Sacco bedpan to the head a week later mcmahon's corvette filled with concrete i don't think we're going to be talking about raw 
back-to-back hot angles that people still remember for decades. I mean, you guys are really hitting your stride creatively here. And, and then the problem becomes, though, what do you do after that? Right. And Vince's, Vince's answer to that, well, God damn, we'll come up with something. And I, I was always of the cautious you know, a lot more cautious to think, well, man, can't we do this three weeks later and, and build to it? And, and that was during that, you know, uh, it was a lot of Vince Russo and bro, bro, we got to do more. I just kept thinking more is going to get to the point of enough. So I want to mention that, uh, this show on October 12th, we talked about the fifth was in East Lansing, Michigan. Here we're in Nassau Coliseum, 10,632 fans paid 238 grand. And, uh, the ratings this week, uh, mark one down for raw, uh, you guys get the win. You do a 4.81 compared to nitros 4.7. The week prior to that, you guys were really neck and neck. You did a 4.549 nitro did a 4.546. So you just barely edge them out. Uh, but this is the go home show for while we're here. Let's get to it. Judgment day. It sold out about a week in advance. There's 18,153 fans in the building. Uh, 16,458 of those paid an incredible 357,000 at the gate. And then as if that wasn't enough, another 145,000 in merchandise, lot of Austin shit sold right there. My friend, little bit, man, that was in. It was during the time too. And here's the great thing about it. You'd sell out of Austin merchandise, which by the, by the way, became do not ever sell out of merchandise. <laughs> you know, um, Vince didn't want to hear about, oh my God, we sold out of all of our merchandise. Well, why didn't you send more? That wasn't a good thing. People thought that was this great thing to sell out of merchandise and, he, and his philosophy. I, I remember sitting in a, in a meeting one time and going, you guys are, are giving these reports like you're happy about it. Like, oh my God, woohoo, we sold out of all this shit. All I want to know is who the fuck is determining how much to send and fire them and send more because we should always be bringing something back. If we haven't gotten everything that we've got, you know, that we need to get out of this audience and that they're there, they want it, they, they're, you're not going to get them hotter than this moment. Buy some shit. Yeah. It's a missed opportunity, you know? So let's talk about the show before we do though, Sunday night heat, we saw Steve Blackman pin Bradshaw in two minutes and 58 seconds after a front kick. As a reminder on the prior month, Bradshaw got a big win on pay-per-view over Vader. A month later, Blackman gets a win over him in under three minutes on heat. Had you guys sort of given up? on the Bradshaw experiment already by this point, he just wasn't getting over the way he wanted. Well, a lot of the Bradshaw stuff, the early stuff, man, was a lot of hit and miss and a lot of start and stops. I think that when John tried to portray something that he wasn't, it, it didn't come off good. I don't think people bought it. The, the blackjacks was, was something that, eh, you know, it was an old gimmick that we tried to recreate. It wasn't, something that was good. Barry and John were a good team, but Russo also didn't, you know, he felt that anybody with a Texas, Texas accent or Southern accent was stupid. Right. And anybody that didn't come from New York didn't have a brain. And he wasn't in favor of pushing someone with the Texas accent like John Layfield. 
You know something, Conrad? I am a three-time, that's right, three-time Black Belt Hall of Famer. And, you know, the guy that taught me everything that I know about karate, the one and only William Alexander Gray, the head of the American Society of Karate, he's always had, well, let's just... Let's just say it, man. He's always kind of had, well, thinning, balding hair. And I was trying to talk to him the other day. If only he had done something about it, like, you know, way back when, then he wouldn't be in the predicament of being, well, basically practically bald right now. And and the thing about it is, is when you start to notice your hair loss, man, it's, it's really too late. And I was talking to a good friend of mine, you know, first name Macho, last name Man, and he was telling me that thanks to science, uh uh-huh, baldness is actually optional with 4hims.com. You see, it's one stop for hair loss. That's right. Skin care, sexual wellness for men. They've got it all. Oh, yeah. And Hims is going to connect you with real doctors. Uh Uh-uh, not fake doctors. With medical grade solutions to treat ED. That's erectile dysfunction in case you didn't know what that ED stood for. And they're very well-known generic equivalents to name brand prescriptions. We're not talking snake oil, uh-uh. No pills, no gas station counter supplements. No, uh-uh. This is the real deal. There ain't no waiting room, no awkward doctor visits in person. Just answer a few quick questions and chat with a doctor for a confidential review. And then, voila! Right there on your doorstep, products are shipped directly to your door. Uh-huh. Well, you think it? Uh, you think it could work for old Willie Alexander? Cause I mean, you know, he still has some hair, and it still might help him in in, in that regard. Oh yeah! Freak out! Freak out! Forhims.com is the only place to go. And if you order now, right now, your listeners. They get a trial month of him for just $5 today right now while supplies last. And it's so easy, too. All you got to do is check out the website for full details. And wait a minute, man. This, this is going to cost hundreds of dollars if you went to a doctor or, you know, like a pharmacy. And, and all you got to do is go to 4 slash WWE. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash WWE. 4 slash WWE. Get an entire trial month of hymns for just $5 today, right now, while the supplies last. That's right, while supplies last. Freak out, freak out! Oh, yeah! Also on Heat, Giant Silva, Kurgan, and Golga, who Russo loved, but Bradshaw, he's an idiot. Um, They beat Los Bariquas in two minutes and 31 seconds. Unbelievable here. Um, The Insane Clown Posse's out with the oddities, of course. Chat me up. I mean, come on. ICP, Los Bariquas. The oddities. Yeah. It was a dark time in some respects <laughs> during all of this. Um, yeah, not, you know, again, what, what do you, what do you say, man? We try some different things and there was a segment of the audience, man. There was that Howard Stern audience that loved the horse shit. 
And that's what it was to me. It was horseshit. Uh, Godfather pins Farouk in just under two minutes. And then before the next match, Michael Cole interviews Paul Bear. Go ahead. You left something out, though. All right. Okay. Godfather pinned Farouk with a kick to the chest. Yes. And Blackman beat Bradshaw with a kick to the chest. It's a hell of a finish back in the <laughs> back in that time frame, these kicks to the chest. Well, I, I mean, these guys, these guys are badasses. I mean, I know I think about Steve Blackman and I think, man, educated feet as an announcer might say. And then I think about Godfather and I think, well, never mind. Okay. Uh, so before the next match, Michael Cole interviews Paul Bearer and asks him why he's there. And Bearer says he's just there to hang out with the boys and eat some food. And throughout the show, they show Paul Bear Paul Bearer piling junk food onto his plate, and the announcers are skeptical that he's only there for the food. This is a fucking rib. Oh yes, I love the catering in Chicago. I need some of those Permanti brothers, the hot dogs. Oh, yes. Extra chili. Little chopped onion on top. Oh, yes. If they only had some Italian beef. (laughs) You fucking love that, didn't you? (laughs) I did. Scorpio pins Jeff Jarrett. I wish it was a kick to the chest, but it's a sunset flip. You know, let's just say, you know, I think he set it up with a kick to the chest though. I'm pretty damn sure. There's been a a tournament here. We should mention where triple H could no longer defend his intercontinental title. Uh, he's supposed to defend it at least every 30 days or he'll be stripped. He's out with an injury. So they strip him and they did a tournament. So triple H comes out and presents the intercontinental title to Ken Shamrock. Uh, Pat Patterson, Gerald Briscoe, and Sergeant Slaughter are all there. And of course, they've got to talk about Rio de Janeiro. Um, what do you remember about this uh, belt presentation here? Well, I mean, we had no choice. We couldn't have a match, really couldn't do much of, other than what we did backstage at the pay-per-view. But it was just the big, big to-do and try to make as much as we could out of the situation without really being able to have any physicality or, or do much of anything and make a big deal out of it. I was excited to see that, uh, the pay-per-view starts with two big stars, Al Snow and Mark Mero are working to get us going here. They get a star and a half in their seven minute and 13 second match. Al Snow here is fresh off of an ECW run where he had main event and some pay-per-views earlier this year. Uh, the head gimmick is super over. And Mark Mero is marvelous. Mark Mero here. Uh, and I guess he's like the original Brock Lesnar of sorts. Chat me up here. Um, what'd you think all this time? Hadn't seen it in 20 years. I'm sure now snow and Mark Mero. Did you really just compare Mark Mero to well, the modern day Brock Lesnar? Let's no. Well, let's run through it now. In fairness, they both are wearing fight shorts. They both are married to Sable. Uh, they both use, uh, the fit, the same finisher. (laughs) Are you smoking weed right now? No, I just saw you take a puff and now you're like holding it and coughing. I feel like all of a sudden we're in fucking keeping it 100 right now. And you're doing bong rips over there. What's going on? I don't have a bong. Well, you there, you just had some sort of vape. It looks like, is that something Dan Soder gave you? What are you doing? 
I am talking to you on the Skype machine about Judgment Day in 1998 with Mark Merrill and Hal Snow. Well, I just find it curious that you went into full full blown Paul Bear for a while, and now you're you're puffing the Chiba again. That thing's lighting up on the end. You're holding it. This is oh yes, THC. Oh my. It's, it, it tastes like Jolly Ranchers. Oh, yes. <laughs> Bruce is shaking his head frantically at me. Uh, where did you? Uh, you know what? No, no, man. Hang on. You show up in Nashville and you were, you were happy as could be. Yeah. I was off of my bachelor party. This is, I know this... that was good. Well, I didn't get to go to your bachelor party. So I'm, I'm batching it up now. You wait, didn't get to go means you just didn't come. You were invited. You're right. I've it, already apologized for that eight times. Okay. Well, this is nine. T- okay. T- tell so me. Hal Snow and Mark Merrill. Yeah. And Mark Merrill is really the original Brock Lesnar. Continue. Okay. Yeah, whatever. You know, watching this going back, man, it, it, it <sighs> the match was okay. No, it wasn't. Everything on this show fucking sucked. No, we really, no, not everything. Okay. Sucked. Almost everything. There's a lot did. of sucky shit. God, there's However, so much filler on this shit. That's what I don't understand. It's like, you look at how hot the business is and we're like another record, another record, another. And I'm thinking, man, I can't wait to watch this. Look how great the business was. And I watched and it. I'm like, what the fuck is shit. this? Lots of shit and a variety of shit. It you know was, what? It was stuff. The lesson I took away from this is man, if your top act is hot. It don't really matter what's underneath. Well, that's true. The crazy thing about this was my takeaway from the match. Al Snow to me early on in his, in his early, I thought Al Snow is one of the best workers I've ever seen. I think that Al had a hell of a future and was one of those guys that I should thought really should have made it and coming in with the head gimmick. And that was something off of, ECW and, and so on and so forth. It had run its course in ECW and bringing it in here. When Al was paying more attention to the gimmick, the match sucked and Merrill wasn't, you know, you're working with Mark Merrill. So that's a little tough too. Um, okay. You're right. It kind of sucked. No, it totally did. It's just lots of filler. You know, there's nothing to really get excited about. Here we go. LOD and DOA are up next. They're going to go five minutes and 55 seconds. Dave Meltzer's first (laughs) sentence in the recap of the pay-per-view Ellering's arms were amazingly muscular for a guy who must be around 46 or 47. I wonder what he's shopping for when he spends all that time on the web. Hang on. Let me ask you a question. How old is Dave Meltzer now? So the match today, the match gets half a star. Hang on, How old is Dave Meltzer now today? I mean, like nowadays, I don't know. Uh, He's probably older than 46 or 47. Yes. Would you say? Yes. So have you seen his arms lately? Yeah. He's in great shape. Yeah. I mean, uh, they're probably bigger than Paul Ellering's were then. Oh, I don't know about that. So what is Dave Meltzer shot for on the web? I mean, maybe, I don't know. Because if you're going to accuse someone from the way they look, because they work out hard and they train, um, I'm, and I'm not accusing anybody of anything. I'm just saying, wow, that's an interesting comment coming from somebody who's the age he is. Well, let, let me just be Gorilla Monsoon for a minute. Will you stop? No. 
So if he's gonna if he's gonna continue with this commentary, then I will answer his commentary. He didn't continue with it. He wrote it twenty years ago, and now we're unfairly beating him up about it, like no, we do no, every that's week. Fair. He beat people up then without knowing what the hell he was talking about. So he doesn't know what anybody did or anything else. And by judging someone on how they look, people can judge him with the exact same lens that he judges people. By the way, LOD here have all their hair and it looks fucking awful. It does. Dra- it looks like two dudes. Draws, Just- yeah. Draws is out here and I'm with you. He looks like the most road warrior esque of the trio, which is a sad commentary on where the team is half a star man. LOD in 1998 versus DOA count me out. I did not like it. What'd you think? <laughs> um, brutal. It was, it was so brutal. You also have to look at, you know, you, you talk about Hawk and the time with the gimmick and talking about his addictions and demons, if you will. You also got to talk about his work. Because his, his work was not good at this time. They, they were really a shadow of their former selves. So when you think of LOD, you think of those guys that used to come out and just maul everybody and manhandle everyone. Those guys weren't the same guys that were here in 1998. And like I said, when draw, Draws at least looked like uh, Hawk and Animal of old. Now you're looking at two guys in the ring with their faces painted, trying to keep up. And and it looked like they were the ones trying to keep up in the match. It just, it was, it was rough. It was clumsy. Um, yeah, this one was kind of bad too. I'm kind of thinking back. I watched this thing and at the end of the, the end of it, I made my notes and I go, okay, it wasn't as bad as I thought, but now you got me talking about it. Shit. You're right. Next up, we see a plug for the superstar line. We've got Doc Hendricks, Sable, Al Snow, and Head. Um, insert punchline here. Serious business. I, I never called the superstar hotline, but what the fuck was the content on this? What could this possibly be? Well, what it was was you had an interviewer on one end and the talent on the other, and the interviewer would ask them questions that were either coming in online. We did it a lot with AOL that was back and forth, uh, on America online live chat back and forth, but we'd also take questions from people and there were different variations of it. Sometimes they would have a lucky caller that was calling in and they would put them on live. Say, Hey, what do you want to, what do you want to ask head? And they would ask a question and then that conversation would be on the hotline, but it was a live commentary all the way through the pay-per-view. So for example, you can't get the pay-per-view in your area or you're too cheap to, but you want to pay $2 a minute to hear what the fuck's going on. You could do that. And it was someplace you get updates and and listen to backstage shit. It was just a, it was was ripping people off is what it is. No, it was entertainment. It was another form of entertainment. You would recommend that people call and check it out. I would have then. Yes. But, I mean, you should just be ashamed of yourself. 
People are going to call us in the Doc Hendricks interview a goddamn mannequin head for $1.99. Well, hello, Detroit. Hey, 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 it's Hansel Doc Hendricks, and we're coming to Detroit Town this Saturday night at whatever the hell the date with the building is there in Detroit because there are so many, and we also go to Auburn, and we go all over these different places. I can't really remember, but Stone Cold will be there live. That's right. Can you imagine if he... Cause I'm sure nobody was really checking that thing from the office. Can you imagine if he just free birded it up one, one time? It was Dude, like, do you, did you not see that shit? He would. Okay. We had the set built in the studio and everything. Right. And it had a staircase, like a false staircase. Well, fuck. what if I came down the staircase, which actually kind of became a great rib on him. Because they would make him go up and down the staircase all day long. Craft wise, like, and he would come down. Hey, hey, it's handsome Doc Hendricks, and he would do the little shit on his face and everything with the one finger and and move his chin back and forth. He was he was doing Freebird Michael Hayes. No, just nobody but, knew any difference. No, I just mean on the hotline when nobody's listening to this thing. Oh God! And he's Ooh. interviewing the head. It had to be like, <laughs> now head, what if I was to piss on you right now? <laughs> What if I was to take the tip of my dick head and I'm just saying head, what if I took my dick head and put it on your head head and I pissed all over you free bird style. Do, do, do. Hey, Hey, Al, Al, is that, is that real life mouth right there? on that <laughs> How lifelike is that mouth? Hey, yeah. Hey, Hey, can you warm it up? Hey, Hey, hey. Does, does she travel in the front seat with you? Hey, head, what that mouth do? Uh, so let's talk. <laughs> I like when you're over there with Dan Soder's wacky weed. This is awesome. Hey, 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 head. Hey, talk to me, bitch. Fuck you up. <laughs> or. <laughs> fuck you. Uh-uh. No, long force fuck me. It's fuck you, bitch. That is, by the way. One of the funniest Michael Hayes isms ever. All right, let's, we're going to do a whole show here. If we're not careful, just on Michael Hayes, let's save it for another day. Let's talk about Christian who, uh, has a fresh head of hair here. Wow. Christian looks super young and a ton of hair. I don't even remember this. He looks like he's trying out for skid row and he beats Takamichi Noku in eight minutes and 34 seconds to win the WWF light heavyweight title. And they get three stars here. What'd you think? This actually was a good match. Fuck you. And anybody else doesn't think it was good. It was, this was a good match. I was a little disappointed that, uh, Dick to go was not out there with Takamichinoku, but while Yamaguchi was, um, <laughs> making the worst, you know, if you go back and look at some of the stuff that, uh, while Yamaguchi did back then, it would be everything that we teach talent today not to do the, the over exaggerated faces, the stereotypical, everything. It was a little crazy, but, uh, the match itself was pretty damn good. And, and I think this is Christian's debut and he wins the light heavyweight title in it. Why did the light heavyweight title not hit the way the cruiserweight title did for WCW? Because Vince wanted guys to work and he didn't want the car crash matches. And, and Eric didn't watch that shit. He's a liar if he tells you he did. He wanted a car crash. He wanted him to go out, didn't give a fuck who went over, didn't give a fuck what they did. Just keep moving and don't ever stop. That was his directive. And that's what they did. And it caught the imagination of a lot of people. 
it was different. And in, in that way, it was good. So, but you, we didn't do that. We wanted guys to slow down and tell a story with their matches. And we didn't want that style. We wanted to be different from them. And you thought what you did was better. I thought, dude, I'll put this match up against anything they did. Fuck you. you you're saying this Double is fuck you. You're saying this is better than like Eddie Guerrero and Ray Mysterio. Oh, I'm saying it can hang. Yes, definitely. Get the fuck out of here. Uh, okay. Let's, let's keep going here. Gold dust and Val Venus. Uh, and this is a true. I don't know. It, the storyline is what it is. It's a wife stealing storyline. And these guys are going to get a star and a half. Um, Meltzer is not kind of gold dust, which we've covered in our gold dust episode. He would say gold dust. Right. Well, he's just Dustin Runnels basically living for years off a of rep as a good worker made when he feuded with Steve Austin and WCW six years ago. And he's been a sporadic at best worker since. What'd you think of this? This is not, uh, the best angle that we ever saw because you're seeing Dustin do a bit of a religious gimmick. He's praying before matches, walking around saying he's coming back. And, you know, meanwhile, Val Venus is banging his wife. So chat me up. what did you think of the match? These guys didn't have good chemistry in the ring for whatever reason, both great workers and they just, man, it didn't gel in the ring. And I can't tell you why, but one thing I did notice big time gold dust entrance and listening through the night, this was the first like major big pop of the night was gold dust coming out here. And he came out, he was a star. They were happy to see him. And it was, it was a big, big damn deal. Then the fucking bell rang and, and it wasn't the greatest match, but I, I did disagree with, with Meltzer on as far as gold dust and his work. I thought that his work was always good. And, uh, to this day, I think he's one of the best damn workers in the business. So I don't think that's fair. This match didn't gel. I don't think that Val, some guys, you just, it's oil and water. And in this instance, in this case, this gimmick, this whole angle, I just didn't think gelled. I can't argue that I didn't enjoy it. I thought it was more filler. I mean, they at least tried to do a storyline and they tried to make it matter, but nobody cared. Yeah. And I didn't really care for the next match either. I hate to be so damn negative about this. I really like both of these guys. I, I was a big deal. Brown fan at the time. And I fucking hated X-Pac at the time, which is weird because now in real life, I like Sean Waltman a lot. And I talk to him, I don't know, once a week or every other week and listen to his show every week. And you should too. Uh, Xbox one, two, three, sixty on the Jericho network and Meltzer was really, really high on him as well. He says, Xbox may be the best worker in the WWF right now. And Brown may be the most improved. He gives it three and a half stars, but for whatever reason, I was just sort of eh on it, but Pac wins the, uh, intercontinental title here. Uh, or at least that's what the, the observer says. It's actually the European title, European title. Um, but, and I like the European title as an actual belt. I'm not saying that it made sense to have it as a championship, but the actual design of the metal and leather, I thought was pretty cool. What'd you think of the match? 20 years later, they go 14 minutes and 37 seconds. So they had plenty of time to tell a story. Well, first of all, the European champion was big time over in Europia. Sure. Everybody knows that. Yes. So Europia was very important to us and, and we needed to have a champion for that. 
I thought that the match was solid. I thought it was good. But the thing about it was there wasn't there wasn't enough story for a, for me to care about that. And and I think that's what you're really saying too on the match before this and this one too. There wasn't enough to really get you invested in it emotionally to care. So, um I think it was just void of emotion. The match itself, can't, uh, man, all the way through, I thought it was a damn good, solid match. Enjoyed watching it. But it's about where it ends. All right, Bruce, let's take a time out here and tell everybody about SaveWithBruce.com. Man, we are helping wrestling fans coast to coast save tens of thousands of dollars. And yes, I'm talking to you. If you're still renting, what in the world are you doing? You're throwing your money away. And it's time that you get something for your family and first family can make it happen. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. That's right. You can still buy a house with no money down and your new house payment can be cheaper than your current rent. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved for this. So don't worry about not qualifying. Just check out SaveWithBruce.com right now. Maybe you've already got a house. Well, wouldn't it be nice to pay less? We can help you save three, four, five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. We routinely help our listeners get rid of all their credit card debt, cut years off of their loan and get out of debt faster. We're going to get you a better rate. We're going to reduce the amount of interest you're paying, and you're even going to get to skip your next two house payments. It sounds too good to be true, but we can do it for you too right now. Find out how easy it is right now at savewithbruce.com. And when you go to savewithbruce.com, you're not talking to a third party. You're talking to me, Conrad Thompson. Check it out, man. Savewithbruce.com. NMLS number 65084, 65084. Next up, we've got the uh, Headbangers who are going to beat the New Age Outlaws by DQ in 14 minutes and one second. They only get a star and a half. Uh, I was a big fan of both of these tag teams, but this was not exactly a barn burner. For whatever reason, they didn't gel. What'd you think? Uh, same comments about the Gold Dust and Valvinus. These guys did not have chemistry and going back and watching the headbangers do the interview in the hallway. I hate to say this, man, but they just weren't ready for prime time. They, they weren't polished enough and they, and they didn't have that second nature, but this match, I'm, this match sucked. It, it was not good in any way, shape or form. Guys were chipping all over each other. And just didn't make a whole lot of sense. Why do you think the, um, the chemistry was off? Well, I think that when you look at it, you look at the new age outlaws, you look at Jesse and Billy, they're workers, they're wrestlers. And then you look at Glenn and, uh, you look at the headbangers and they were more of a gimmick and they were more brawlers. It just didn't. There was nothing about it that worked for whatever reason. You would have thought four young guys in there tearing it up, that people would have been interested in it, that they all could have had a great match. It just didn't happen. Next up, we've got a uh, segment in the back where we have uh, Mr. Sacco make an appearance with Mankind. Um, <laughs> Paul Bear was in Kane's dressing room here. Chat me up about this promo. <laughs> Oh, oh, well, no, I, well, actually, actually, Mr. Socko's been a naughty sock with, he's, he's got 
What kind of underwear, negligee, lingerie does Mr. Sacco have? Oh, no, look at that. He's got the black lingerie underneath. And it was just classic. <laughs> it was Mick Foley playing Cactus Jack, playing Terry Funk, telling a great story that meant nothing. However, when you got into the match, it meant everything. And you're pro- and, and as much as I hated the finish of, of the next match, I loved the story and getting into it and the logic behind it. Um, they kept the whole Paul Bear story running through here. Oh, yes, Dairy Queen. Uh, I'll have two Nutty Buddies with peanut buster parfaits and a dilly bar. Oh, yes, three dilly bars. But, uh, you know, it was it was good storytelling. Uncle Paul, do you want to see Socko's underwear? Just curious. Kiss Shamrock beats mankind to retain the Intercontinental title. They go 14 minutes and 36 seconds. Meltzer was uh, digging this one. It gets three and a quarter stars. I know you didn't like the finish, but I'm a Shamrock guy. I'm a mankind guy. I thought this was the best match on the show so far. It was, it was a great match and it was a a hell of a story at the time. And the, the idea behind mankind putting the mandible claw on himself and passing out so that he couldn't feel the pain of the ankle lock anymore. I just thought it was genius. However, the execution of it, watching it back all these years, because I was a big fan of it that night. I remember hearing it and Mick, you know, pitching. I was like, uh, I love it because it just carried through and it, and it told this sick story of mankind. And then watching it now, I was like, uh, I don't know. I don't know what it was about it because the match was really, really great. And, and that was a testament to both guys. They told a great story through the match, but the logic of, of hearing it all these years later, the winner of the match due to mandible claw is like, when do you ever hear that in any other announcement? Right. Ken Shamrock. And, and then Shamrock gets pissed off that he's just won the match. Why the fuck do you care how you want a match? Right. Motherfucker. You fucking don't care. You just win the motherfucking match. Get the fuck out of the ring. Goddamn MMA motherfucker. Fuck you. Are you okay? Motherfucker. Thank you. So next up, we've got Mark Henry out to read a terrible love poem to China. Oh, stop it. That was great. It was awesome. Uh, and then he beats the rock in five minutes and two seconds. Meltzer would write crowd died two minutes in and didn't pick up until the people's elbow spot, which got the biggest pop of the show. I think even with all of rock's charisma that when you add the total of rock's charisma and Henry's lack of charisma, you end right up around zero, which pretty much describes much of this match. Half a star. Oh, fuck him. First of all, going back and again, talking about entrances and the electricity of that crowd, brother, when rock walked out, it was a double pop, which I, I always also always love watching. They popped on his music. And it was a huge pop. And then there was that anticipation waiting for him to come through the curtain, man. And you got that second huge pop. So that was, again, to me, it was it was great to feel that energy. 
the match was what it was. It was, it was quick. It was short. It was painless. Um, and it was a way to, to, to move rock on and give Mark a nice little win. Everybody's happy. And what's funny to me a month from now, the rock's going to win the world title and be your champion on pay-per-view. And here, absolutely. Mark Henry's beating him. World. Okay. The world's strongest man, Mark Henry. After he did a promo or a poem for China. It was a damn good poem too, though. You got to admit next up undertaker goes to a no contest with Kane 17 minutes and 41 seconds. Steve Austin is the referee here. Um, not good. Negative half a star, according to the observer. After the match, Steve Austin is stomping around trying to, uh, to find Vince McMahon and he's going everywhere backstage and he opens one door and Owen Hart's there. And of course they've been pretending that Owen Hart was not the blue blazer, but here we accidentally see Owen Hart in that same track suit that he wore, uh, that we've all seen a thousand times. What'd you think? Well, that was at the end of the night. I thought, um, yeah, yeah, this is it. That's the yeah. end of the night. Well, we didn't, I know, but we didn't talk about the match enough. It was, well, we can talk about the match as much as you'd like. It's undertaker Kane with Steve Austin as the ref and they don't want Austin doing a lot of counts. So they're not doing a lot of near falls. The crowd is chanting for Austin. Who's the goddamn referee. Eventually they start chanting boring. Uh, Paul bears here. And well, what'd you think? Yeah. Wasn't that great. Um, <laughs> it's a third. I mean, you guys, you guys are just, it, it, you know, it was, it was, again, it was a means to an end or an ends to a means to, to try and get further without having to, to crown a champion and to get Steve continue to have, give Steve something to come back with. Um, the whole, I didn't get the logic with Undertaker and Kane where they're friendly. They're not friendly. Right. They're working together. They're working against each other. There have only been a few really good classic Undertaker Kane matches. For the most part, if you go back and watch those matches, they weren't the greatest matches in the world. Great story, but those matches weren't always the best matches in the world. And this adding Steve is that third man. The spotlight's on Steve. Everybody's concerned. They're they're waiting for that stunner. Yep. And, you know, they got it, and people were confused with the finish, um, which was kind of, you know, the – the start of confusing finishes on, on pay-per-views where we looked at trying to program our pay-per-views much like we used to program our house shows in the territory days, leave with heat, make them tune in TV to find out what's going on for the larger audience. Um, in my opinion, I just thought that the finish in the match itself was confusing and needed a lot of explanation on the other side to me. Um, yeah, it just wasn't great. It, it wasn't one of those, but there were a couple good matches on this show. Yeah. And, but and what then, a shitty main event. Yeah, it didn't, it wasn't one of those that really delivered, you know, for the hype and because you're expect, you're expecting one of one or the other to win. 
And you're not never in a million years is Vince going to really fire Steve Austin. So you're going to a fucking no contest again. I mean, it just feels like two sort a draw. Of, you kissed your sister. Yeah. And, and people are paying money for this twice, yeah. you know, last month and this month, of course, we're going to get a tremendous story, uh, just a month from now at survivor series, but damn, we had to buy three shows to get it. Yep. And you, you know, you had to continue to tune in and it was a build, but. Again, that was just a different way. So, okay. So then Owen Hart's in the back and I think that, uh, Lawler was fed the line. Was that the blue blazer? Instead, I think Lawler said, oh my God, it's the blue blazer. And yeah. It was kind of one of those. And by the things. way, your ass is in gorilla on this show, directing traffic and yelling. Yes. I mean, you went that way. Get him, Steve. Get him. I think he went that way. And then, you, and then, who's the second stooge that he goes to? He goes to the hotline of Michael Hazel. Dude, dude, dude. I don't know, Steve. I ain't seen the boss all night, but I got an idea. If you go back that way, ask Bruce. So the vacant title is still vacant. We're gonna have a world title tournament at Survivor Series the next night on Raw. By the way, another sellout, over twelve thousand fans a $235,000 gate and raw opens up with all the wrestlers in the ring as McMahon is talking to them about firing Austin. And then they show Austin with the gun on the screen. Wow. Wait, you have, you have to go back and follow where Steve says, you're going to fire me. Then I'll just start hunting season early. Right. There's a little nugget, little seed there. So Steve came to Millie Waukee to go hunting. Yes, he did. Uh, well, I mean, again, we're running through sort of shitty pay-per-views, but what iconic moments that we're getting on Monday night raw here. We're also getting a spot where mankind and Sheriff Sacco with a badge on the sock are here to have a, uh, a slumber party with Vince McMahon and keep him company. Uh, the ministry of darkness is coming to fruition here. Taker says that bear has come home to lead that ministry and Jr. is calling bear a rotund demon. Um, this is an interesting show here because you've got head on the show. The rock is blowing it up. I mean, you've got lots of things that are hot at the time. And then you've got tiger Ali Singh out here with Babu roasting weenies. And of all people, the kielbasa queen from Howard Stern is there to simulate oral sex with the weenies and tiger Ali gives her 500 bucks. What the fuck are you doing? Russo was a Stern fan. So it was the whole kielbasa thing was the, the Stern gimmick that he had done on his show, bro. Everyone loves Howard Stern. So that, that was his, his attempt at, uh, modern day. God damn, you gotta be topical. And so we get the kielbasa queen. Well, you also have Austin, uh, capture events, make him say oink real loud, tie him up, put duct tape over his mouth. And the show finishes with Austin pushing Vince to the ring. Vince is crying and Austin gives Vince a letter to read. And then he pulls a gun out and Vince's eyes are crossing and he pulls the trigger 
and out comes a paper that says bang 316. Vince wets himself and then gets a stunner twice to end the show. Another iconic moment on Raw. Chat me up. Is this shoot piss? God damn, pal. Working make piss. It, make it black. One equal. It's a lot of training to piss like that on command. So it's shoot piss or working piss? It was a pissinator that you get at Pissinators R Us. Is this the same Wizinator that uh Manu- No, this was a pissinator. <laughs> okay. Is this the same pissinator that Manu used to get fired? I have no idea. Okay. I was just asking. But it was a uh pissinator. I think it was a pissinator XR three seventeen. Did you personally pick it out? I did not. I did not. I, I had some input into the Pissinator 319. Well, I mean, I, I assume you knew a thing or two about it since I've seen you puffing the Chiba the entire show over there that you probably knew where to get stunt penises. No, there was no penis involved. It was just a hose. So, but we already, we saw Godfather earlier. One of them helped Vince, you're saying? One of the hose? Yes, a Milwaukee hose. And they're kind of they they're up there with the Omaha hose and people in Milwaukee know what I'm talking about. Okay. So, this is a uh, a cool moment here to see Vince piss his pants. Is this popping the boys to see Vince peeing on camera? I mean, it feels like the guys are just loving this shit. You know, th- there was a segment loving it, but there was a segment going, "What the fuck are we doing?" Right. And, you know, I was of that segment. I I was sitting there going, "Okay, we, you know, we don't do guns and knives. We don't do this. We don't do that. But now we're going to have a guy with a, with a gun hold the owner of the company hostage. And then he's going to piss his pants. Hey, it worked. And, and like I said, we're talking about it today. So I was wrong, but it was, it was edgy, man. It was different for that time. By the way, it's a hit raw gets a 5.01. Nitro gets a 4.36 and this feud with Austin McMahon is so hot that on the 29th MTV airs a celebrity death match of Austin versus McMahon. Any memories of that? <laughs> yeah. This is like, why the hell are we going to give him Austin McMahon on MTV? He didn't know it was claymation celebrity death matches. God damn. Why would I get in a death match with him? Well, it's, it's claymation and they make, well, it's clay. What? Um, so the people pitching it didn't explain what celebrity death match was at first. He thought it was them actually doing it. Yeah. I see. He, he didn't know they were just asking him to lend his voice and if they were cool to use the likenesses and trademarks and all this other bullshit. Um, but yeah, that one was a little funny. I don't get it. A and E, uh, this same week did a special on the life of Andre, the giant. Did you guys have any sort of input creatively or whatever with that process? You know, as best I remember, they, they did come to us. I think we let them use some footage and, and gave a few comments, but not a whole lot. And I, I don't remember the entire, how all that came about, but I know that Vince cooperated a little bit because it was for Andre. Uh, Vince is also on the cover of the New York magazine and in the story, McMahon would claim that the television character of Steve Austin is actually playing the real life role of Vince McMahon. 
Did that ever come up in any of the creative that he sort of saw himself as the Austin character rather than the Mr. McMahon character? I think in a way, as far as defying authority, maybe, but Vince always looked at Steve as really the common man and the every man who worked for someone else that wanted to tell that someone else, go fuck yourself. So he really looked at Steve as every man. And I probably did look at it a little bit as God damn it. That's me. Fuck authority. And, and that's how he saw himself still sees himself that way. It was also written that, um, the magazine is calling uh, wrestling here, the hottest sport in America. And the name of the story though, is, is called beyond fake. And Meltzer would write, the cover itself is an interesting story. The magazine wanted a photo of Austin with McMahon as its cover, which McMahon refused and offered a photo of himself with Rocky Maivia, claiming that Maivia was soon to be the biggest star of the company. They refused that because they believe the rock was a wrestling star, but not a mainstream star that Austin has now become such a huge celebrities that you see his t-shirts everywhere you go. McMahon steadfastly refused to allow Austin's photo on the cover without giving a reason and was implying that rock was being pushed as the new star. And Austin was the declining star. Perhaps McMahon was willing to go so far as to pose with any wrestler in the company, except Austin, because while all the other angles can be shown on the newsstands is phony Austin versus Vince. The money angle has to be protected. Although the photo posed with Austin suggested was supposed to be an antagonistic photo. What do you remember about, if anything, this debate about should he or shouldn't he be with Austin on the cover? Well, the reason for not having Steve on the cover was rock was the guy. And by the time that the magazine was coming out, rock was going to be the guy. So Vince wanted without telling them that, oh, we're going to do this angle with the rock and he's going to be in the corporate, you know, whatever, and all this other stuff. And he's going to be my guy without telling them that that's what he was trying to get to without having to tell them all of our creative plans and what have you. That's all there was behind it. It wasn't a, I don't want to be with Steve or I'm, I'm protecting the business or anything like that. It was, they were pushing that just so it would be timely and topical because people that would see that would also be watching television and you would see, Oh my God, rock and Vince. And it would be kind of a coup for the New York magazine. It just, that's the, that's the story behind it. There is no story other than that. It's, it's that plain and dry. They, they talk a lot in this, uh, article, and I do want to touch on some of the things here because there's so much ground that's covered in this article. Um, McMahon talks about the charges, you know, we've talked about the steroid trial in an, in an archived episode, check it out, something to wrestle.com. But he says that he was convicted on one of the six charges and he calls it conspiracy to defraud the FDA and says it still irks him to this day. Of course, he wasn't actually convicted of any charges. And he says that Brian Pillman, who by the way, has just recently passed away. Uh, he says was a steroid abuser. So he just wants to make sure that that's out there. Uh, and he talks about the Las Vegas property, the hotel acquisition, the Debbie Reynolds hotel that we've recently touched on here on the show. And he says, there's going to be stone cold bedding chips, an undertaker, tattoo parlor, a sable lingerie shop. And he sort of just runs through all of those different 
ideas for what this hotel could be or will be. Of course, it doesn't come to fruition. But he also shares a story about sneaking out with the legendary Dr. Graham and bleaching his own hair blonde as a teenager, all, you know, against his father's wishes. Pretty candid promo stuff here that you don't really hear from Vince McMahon at this time. Does an article like this get passed around the locker room or the office? All they had to do was go buy it at the damn newsstand. So yeah, everybody was reading it and it was during a time where we were pulling the curtain back a little bit. You had to walk a fine line with the Mr. McMahon character and Vince McMahon, the owner of the company. So it was get him out there as much as you can as the character, but you also have to understand he's, he's the owner. And I think Vince, you know, the, the character is the owner. The character is Vince. Mr. McMahon is Vince McMahon. So it's, those lines are definitely blurred, but, um, times were changing. We were opening up and doing some things he'd never done before. And I think people, you know, kind of looked at it and thought, okay, well, if he's saying it, everybody else can and, and be a little more candid, but, uh, just times were changing. I want to uh, make a note here from Meltzer. He wrote in a note about Marty Bergman, the husband of McMahon's attorney, Laura Brevetti, who was accused in a major story in both the village voice and a New York post of fixing the McMahon trial by posing as a producer from a current affair and offering her the main government witness, Emily Feinberg money, but she refused. The reality was that Bergman was posing as a producer from 60 minutes and claimed to Feinberg that he could present her in a potential television movie deal. And while Feinberg didn't compromise her integrity by taking money from a TV show, which would certainly hurt her credibility in court, Bergman posing as her agent did get enough knowledge as to what she did or didn't remember. By getting close to Feinberg, it later explained why Brevetti in the courtroom had an almost ESP-like knowledge of Feinberg's knowledge and memory and exploited those lapses with what at the time appeared to be remarkable and genius-like precision. Not that any of this would have changed the eventual outcome of the trial. This is like out of a movie here. You ever hear of any of this? As, as far as Marty fixing the trial is absolutely preposterous. First of all, in and of itself, uh, Marty was married to Laura Brevetti. I believe they're still married and Marty was a producer for, um, God, I think it was a current affair or something like that, but he, he was an investigative reporter as well and, and, a, and a producer. And he did a lot of the investigations on the trial from the WWE side. So without a doubt, I know that he looked into everything. He's the one that, uh, exposed the federal prosecutor for what he really was. And while, you know, everybody, you, you say what you want to say. But the facts are the facts, and Vince wasn't convicted of anything. Their star witnesses had absolutely nothing to add to their case. It was all a bunch of bullshit, and I, I have no idea what what any of this <laughs> pertains to as far as anything. I, I thought Marty was a hell of a guy, and uh, well, there it. you go. I just wanted to bring it up because it was in the Observer around the same time as this show, Judgment Day, nineteen ninety eight. How do you rank this pay per view 
You know, there's a it couple a of shit. It really was. <laughs> Scale of one to ten. I'm giving it a fucking four. I think that's being very generous too. No, dude, come on. I'm giving it a six and three quarters. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. I love that you yeah. threw that in. Next week, yeah. you're gonna be, you're gonna really put your foot in your mouth. Uh, we're probably uh, banned from WWE events for life after we talk about the authority and how it came to be when Hunter married Stephanie next week. The following week, we're gonna cover the Hardcore Championship and Daniel Pewter. It's gonna be a bit of a hodgepodge episode there. On November the 9th, we're bringing you William Regal. On November 16th, we got Survivor Series 1998. And then on the 22nd, we've got our Thanksgiving special band, Survivor Series 1988. And I'm going to try. That'll to be a watch along, right? It will be a watch along. And I'm going to try to squeeze in some Survivor Series 1993 action somehow, some way. But we'll finish up November with Christian on November 30th. So we've got a loaded November coming your way. Uh, and I really had fun covering Judgment Day, not necessarily the pay per view but all the news and going on at the time. And thanks for joining me this week, man. That's our, my first show as a married man. You know, you're, you're different now, Conrad. Yeah. Well, you are too. You're high as shit. No, I'm not. Well, I hope you Trust are. Next me, you week. would know if I was high as shit. No, no. I've been around you when you were. When? Um, I don't want to say what city we were in, but we were in a city, not LA. Oh yeah. I remember that. But the Jeff Jewett was there. And we were at the hotel bar and, uh, and then when Brock Lesnar fought in the UFC in my basement and, uh, well, there's just, Oh, no, those. Okay. Those are the only two times you ever even see me remotely close. Okay. What? Well, what? it was that edible that time. Somebody gave me uh, a cookie in Boston and he knows who he is. And it was amazing. Well, then there was the show in LA. I mean, we went to dinner with a friend of ours and he had gimmicks. You know, it's, I think okay. it's legal out there and, and it is legal out odd, there. Odds are good. We're going to see Ron Funches. And I think just running into Ron Funches in November after he lays off weed in October, like you just get a contact high shake in that motherfucker's hand. Don't you? Yeah. Why is he laying off weed in October? It's like a thing he does every October. So, oh, so I don't even, okay. I don't even, we like, it's kind of like no shave November. It is. It's like sober October or something, <laughs> but I don't like, I've learned like, don't even fuck with him. Like I don't text him. I don't DM him. I just like his tweets and that's as interactive as we get. Just I'll catch you in November, Ron. Send me his number. I'm calling him right now. That's not advisable. No, I'm calling him. By the way, we should plug that. Uh, he's going on tour with Conan O'Brien. Did you know that? I did not, but I know that anytime folks, this is, he ain't paying us for shit. Um, we didn't pay him either. I hope, but Ron Funches is a funny motherfucker. And if you have not had the opportunity to sample his comedic skills, you are sorely like, man, go see him live. Go check out his specials. <laughs> He's a funny son bitch. He was on XM radio the other day and I just, almost had to pull over laughing so hard yeah he's hilarious you should check him out i think he gets started uh like the middle of november in atlanta and he's coming to houston by the way he's going to be there on the 16th you should hit him up i will 
So anyway, we're out of here, man. Check out Team Coco, uh, Conan and friends. I've got Ron Funches is going to be with him for like a month. You can pick up your tickets at teamcoco.com forward slash tour, but you can pick up tickets to see us this weekend in Boston, man, at Kowloon over at brucepritchard.com. Don't miss it. And don't forget, we're coming to LA and Winston-Salem. It's our first time in North Carolina, Bruce, and the rumor and innuendo is that WrestleCade's there, so it's a who's who of professional wrestling. It could be a WrestleMania-like show with that amount of wrestling talent there. We could have our pick of guests, right? You just never, ever really know. You just don't know what to expect, by God. You don't. Pick up your tickets right now. You'll be glad you did. BrucePritchard.com is where you can make it happen. He is at Bruce Pritchard. I am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad, and we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here when Hunter married Stephanie on something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Wait, we 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 can't really do that one, I don't think, can we? I dude, I'm I'm fucking doing it. Not the boss of me. We can edit out whatever you don't like. All of it? Hey, just smoke a lot of weed before we click record. Okay. You're not recording now, right? No, I'm not recording. You don't want everybody to know you're smoking weed? No, man. I, I don't. I don't smoke weed anymore. What was that gimmick you held to your mouth that lit up on the other side? Highlighter. It was a highlighter. <laughs> yeah, it was a highlighter. Okay, so I'm high now, right? Yeah. It was me. You. Okay, got it. Dude, if you, I sent you a picture of you and you're like a floating head. Yeah, that's how high you are. You're texting me pictures of me during the show. Yeah, I'm sending you another one right now, as a matter of fact. I'm still recording, by the way. What? Should we close the show? I thought we already did. Well, say goodbye to everybody. Goodbye, everybody. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.